Well, good morning. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. If you are able, I invite you to stand with me wherever you are. Stand as I read this scripture. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. This is God's word. Please be seated. As some of you know, uh, woodworking is something of a serious hobby for me, and the main type of woodworking I do is I make Windsor chairs. And the upper part of a Windsor chair, the bow of a Windsor chair, is made by steam bending a piece of wood. And the best wood to bend is green wood, meaning wood that has not yet been kiln dried. And so you start off with a freshly cut log. And so the best log is one that's called veneer quality. And so it, doesn't, it, it grows straight and true. It's not leaning. Uh, it doesn't have any twists in it. It doesn't have any knots or cat faces on it. And so it's just a clean log. And uh, like you, I have my own logger. Uh, his name is Gary. I found him on the internet. He lives in Missouri. And I describe to him what I want, and Gary's like a tree genius, and so he finds me a log that I need. He cuts it down, and he delivers it to a sawmill over in Wathena, Kansas, which is that direction about two and a half hours. And so not about nine out of ten of the logs that Gary has got for me are just amazing. They're just perfect. But you never really know what the log is until you split it open. Well, last November, Gary cut down a white oak log for me. He delivered it. And my friend and I drove over to Wathena, Kansas to split it open and uh, put it in, eight, in quarters or eight so we could haul it in his truck back to, to Kansas. So uh, my friend Rufus documented this, and so we're going to show you some, some action shots, photo number one. And so you begin, this is me splitting the log, okay? I know this is riveting. So you, you start by putting a wedge in the end, and uh, you see how the crack, the split is perpendicular to the ground, right? Nod your head if you're tracking with this. And then you, you chase the split down the log. Next, and so there I am, and so you, you put the wedges in. And when I started chasing the split, that's when I knew there was trouble, right? And so by the time I got to the end of the log, so that split had gone from being perpendicular down the log, it was almost parallel to the ground. And so the next, the next, and there I am looking at this log thinking, oh, snap, this log is going to be trouble, okay? And so uh, I'll spare you the details of how, how hard it was to split and rive and shape the pieces of wood to be bent, but I'll just tell you, it was about 10 times harder than it would have been without the twist. And so two salient points here. Number one, you don't know what a log is like until you split it open. And number two, whatever you find in the log, that's what you have to work with. 
I tell you this story to introduce 21 days of prayer and fasting, which begin tomorrow. The next three weeks, we're actually going to seek God concerning our hearts. It's going to be demanding work, but we're going to seek God concerning our hearts. And like that log, number one, you don't know what's in your heart until God shows you, till he opens it up and shows you what is in your heart for better or for worse. And so we're going to be asking God to show us, God, is there anything in our hearts that keeps us from loving you, that keeps us from loving one another, and that keeps us from loving our neighbors as ourselves? So here at Faith, we, we seek to be disciples of Jesus. And as disciples, we don't just do a bunch of random Christian stuff, whether we believe it or not, whether, we're, whether we think it's any good or not. No, we actually want to love God with all of our hearts. And we want to love one another fervently from the heart. And we actually want to love our neighbors. You know how? Just like we love ourselves. And so these are matters of the heart. And so if we want to love from the heart, we need to, to let God show us, open up and show us what's in our hearts, the good and the bad, the bad. Number two, just like that log, whatever we find in our hearts, that's what we have to work with. That's what we start with. That's our starting point. We all have defects in our hearts, analogous to splits and, and, or twists and knots. And sometimes... Uh, we have these defects because of the sins that we've committed. Our sins can shape our hearts in, in destructive ways. Sometimes the defects are because of our response to the sins others have committed against us. Sometimes we've just soaked in the ways of the world, either in our family of origin or just the culture in which we live. And uh, the temptation is to look at other people and to think, if I had the advantages that they have, then my life would be so much easier. And that may actually be the case. Some people probably have it a lot easier than you do. They start far ahead of you. But you know what? Your life is the only life you have. Your heart is the only heart that you have. And the good news is that God wants to refine your heart so that you love him, love one another, and love your neighbor. And so God is committed to this. During this 21-day experience, we'll introduce each of these three topics in their Sunday morning messages, and then we'll provide, you need to, to register for this, just sign up for it on, on the website or on the Church Center app. Uh, but, but each day there will be a scripture reading and a devotional to go along with that scripture reading. And we're not just doing this to do it. But we're doing it so that these scriptures, God will take these scriptures and help us evaluate our hearts. The scriptures lay us open. They lay us bare before God. And the scriptures help us understand how God wants to transform our hearts. And so again, this is going to be demanding work, okay, the next three weeks. But it is so worth it if we become people who love God, love one another, and love our neighbors. Today we talk about start by talking about loving God from the passage we read in Matthew 22. The previous paragraph describes an encounter between Jesus and the Sadducees. They had come to him, tried to entrap him with a question. Jesus shut them down. He silenced them. And we read this beginning in verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they were one group, one sect within Judaism, they, the Pharisees, who were another sect, they gathered themselves together. Now, 
couple things about the Pharisees. They loved the scriptures. They memorized the scriptures. They were experts in the scriptures. The problem was they did not love the God of the scriptures. And so they, they designated a representative to try to entrap Jesus. Verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him. So this man would have been a theologian. He would have been a, an expert in the Old Testament law. And here's his question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? He's really asking, what's the greatest commandment in the law? That question came out of, of a debate that, that was raging in Jesus' day. <clears throat> the rabbis liked to count things, and they counted up all the commands in the first five books of the Bible, and there were 613 commands, okay? Guess how many of those were negative commands? 365, one for every day, okay? And then the rest of them, 249, were positive commands. And they distinguished between the commands that were great and heavy and those that were small and light. And so given those distinctions, they debated which are the greatest, which is the heaviest of all the laws. And Jesus even made these distinctions. If you read the next chapter, Matthew 23, you'll see he, he talked about the weightier things of the law. And so Jesus gladly answers the Pharisee's question, verse 37. And he said to him, and again, this is the answer to the question, out of all the commands, which one is the weightiest? Which, which one should take priority? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so Jesus had 612 other commands to choose from, but he chose this one. So you want to know what it is? Love God. And so it's a relational command. It's a command that tells us how we should treat God. He's saying, if you want to know what, you need to treat God with love, with, with patience and kindness. Don't hold grudges. You should be generous toward him. You, shouldn't, you should, you should uh, uh, just pour out your love to the Lord your God. And we'll talk about this more in a few minutes, but let's briefly look at the next three verses. Verse 38, Jesus said, this is the great and foremost command. In other words, this one should take priority over all of the others. And we'll see why when we get to verse 40. But notice in verse 39, kind of as a bonus, they asked him for one commandment. Jesus said, here's the second one. Verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here he's quoting from Leviticus 19, 18. And two weeks from now, we'll look at, at that command. Next week, we'll look at loving one another. But what's significant for us today is what Jesus says about both of these commandments in verse 40. He says, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Remember, the, the Pharisee had asked him about the law, the first five book of the, books of the Bible. Jesus says, actually, I'm talking about the whole law and the prophets, the entire Hebrew Bible. A literal translation would be, <clears throat> on these two commandments hang the entire law and the prophets. And so love God and love your neighbor as yourself. They're like a beam up here and all the other commands are hung upon those two commands. If you don't keep those two commands, the rest of them come falling to the ground. 
And that's exactly what we saw with the Pharisees. I mean, they didn't love God and they didn't love other people. By and large, there were exceptions. You've got a man like Nicodemus. But by and large, they were just mean people. They didn't really weren't too interested in God. They just cared about his rules, his, his laws. And so consequently, because without love, you're nothing, you can have all wisdom and all knowledge, all giftedness. You can make all these sacrifices, but without love, you're nothing. Consequently, the Pharisees were nothing. God took no delight in them. And the people under their leadership, they weren't built up. They weren't nourished. They weren't encouraged. They were weighed down. They were burdened down with the way that they, they enforced the law. On the other hand, those that do seek after to obey loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, all the rest of the commands, they kind of fall in line. They make sense. They're not burdensome, but they're beautiful. And by God's grace, we're able to obey them. Well, let's spend the rest of our time back up in verse 37, thinking about what it actually means to love God as the first and foremost command. Look at some of these details, verse 37. And so when Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God, he was quoting from Deuteronomy 6. And there's a prayer that the, the pious Jews recite every morning and every night. It's called the Shema. That's a Hebrew word for listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. Have you ever thought about that? It's a command to love the Lord your God. One of the best questions I've ever been asked as a pastor, I've been asked some good questions, but it was about maybe 10 or 12 years ago, uh, there was a guy who was coming to the church, had never been, never been to church before, and he heard things with fresh ears, and uh, he didn't just take it, yeah, that's the, that's the way we talk around here. He would ask questions, and uh, we, we sang a, a song that day. Uh, I've got to get it right. It's the song, Give Us Clean Hands, and there's a, there's a line in there that says, uh, oh, God, let us be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face, oh, God of Jacob. And we got together, and he said, Steve, who, who is the God of Jacob? <laughs> so it's a great question. It's like Jacob's got his own God, and we're supposed to seek his face. And that's a profound question because I never even thought about that. What's the significance of calling him the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What's the significance of, of Moses saying, love the Lord your God? And so what's going on there? Well, basically, if the Lord is your God, you're in covenant with him. If God is your God, you're in covenant with him. You're bound to him by covenant. In Genesis 17, for example, the Lord told this to Abraham. He says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, so that would be Isaac and Jacob, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And so he was their God because he was bound to them by covenant. And so because he's the God of Jacob, doesn't mean Jacob possessed him. It means Jacob was in covenant with him. Similar to I would say Brenda is my wife, not because I possess her. I don't, but I am bound to her by the marriage covenant. 
And so, um, in the same way, all of us who've entered into the new covenant in Jesus' blood are able to say, the Lord is our God. We are bound to him by covenant. And so, in Jeremiah 31, one of the promises God made in this new covenant, he states it this way. He says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will be their God, and also they will be my people. And so if by covenant God is our God and we're his people, we can be confident that he will be faithful to us. And so when you say God is my God, you're saying my God is going to fulfill every promise he's made. And you live your life with the confidence that God has done, the, he has made the infinite sacrifice to bring, up, bring about this covenant. He, he, he paid for your sins by the death of his sinless son. And you put your faith in him and in this covenant, God says, I'm going to pour my love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will indwell you, and I will pour my love into your heart. I will remember your sins no more. I will remove them as far as the east is from the west, and I will write my law on your heart. And so instead of his laws, his commandments being these external commands written on a tablet, no, they're written on your heart. He's taken away the heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, a heart that is responsive to him, and so if God is your God, you live with this, this confidence and this knowledge that he has already loved you perfectly. And so he's your God at great price. And so if God has loved you perfectly, this command, love the Lord your God, is a command to respond to his love with love. And so you're loving him in return. And God made this point many times in the Old Covenant, Deuteronomy 7, 7. And it's also true in the New Covenant. In John 4, 10, for example, we read this. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then later in 1 John 4, we read this. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And so the better we understand God's love for us, the more intuitive and natural it will be for us to love him. By contrast, if you perceive that the love of God is something ordinary, something mundane, or maybe if you think, well, he was obligated, that's why he loved us. Or if you really think, yeah, God sort of loves us, but he's not very good at it. He's not good at taking care of me. He doesn't keep his promises to me. He's not very good at running my life or the world. Then you really won't see much, much reason to love him in return. And when he talks about loving him, Jesus actually said, you need to love me more than you love your own children. And the way, if you've got children, you, you love your children. It's this affection. They're your treasure. And so he's not talking about just doing what I say. Now he's talking about your heart being for him and with him. And so uh, if you understand the love of God, then that you'll hear this command, love the Lord your God, 
and your, your intuitive response will be, of course I love my God because he's done the infinite to bring me into relationship with him. And that's why Paul prayed about the, the love of God. In Ephesians 3, for example, he prayed that the, the believers in Ephesus, Ephesians 3.18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He prayed that have strength. If your mind and your heart are weak, you can't really comprehend the love of God. And so he prayed that they'd have strength to comprehend the love of God, the enormity of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And it's a little bit counterintuitive if you've never experienced it, but you might think that if somebody walks around with this knowledge that God loves me, he treats me like the apple of his eye, he treats me, he is as sensitive to me as the apple of his eye, his pupil, that they might walk around with this pride and this arrogance, but that's not the way it works. If you're convinced that God loves you that way, you will be humbled to the core and you will bow the knee and worship him out of respect and gratitude. Only when we understand that we are greatly loved by God will we love him greatly in return. Back to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. one more time. Look how comprehensively we're to love God. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And commentators and scholars point out that these three terms, heart, soul, and mind, are not three distinct, mutually exclusive parts of us, but they're overlapping categories. And so it paints a picture of loving God with our entire being. And so God wants us to love him in this deep, comprehensive way. I think William Hendrickson said it well when he wrote, the point is that God's wholehearted love must not be answered in a half-hearted manner. And so he's loved us with his whole heart, and so we respond and love him in kind. Now, this, this is just an introduction. Barely, barely looking at the tip of the iceberg here. But if we had time, we could look at numerous scriptures that make clear that if you love God, you will also love Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God in the flesh. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is in him the fullness of deity dwells. And so here, this is what we're doing the next 21 days. If you, if you register for this, this experience... Uh, you will receive an email each day that will include a scripture, uh, scripture reading, and then a meditation that goes with that scripture. You can either view it or read it. We'll have two different kinds. And if we let them, these daily scripture readings and meditations will help us evaluate what is actually true of our hearts. It will lay our hearts open and show us, for good, the good and the bad, this is what's in our hearts. And these scriptures will also help us understand how God wants us to love him fully, comprehensively. Now, I want to give one more perspective on loving God and loving Jesus. And I, I think that this will help all of us, no matter where you are. If you're a, a devoted follower of Christ or if you're just considering, you're just open to the possibility of following Christ. But here's the perspective. 
You know, when Jesus walked this earth and he was inviting people to enter the kingdom, uh, one of the things that he appealed to them with is he appealed to them uh, with the incomparable worth of what he was offering. And so in Matthew 23, he told the parable, he said, the kingdom of God, it's like a man who finds a treasure in the field. And he sees this treasure, and instead of just stealing it, he reburies it, he goes and sells everything that he has, and he says that over joy, he spends everything he has to buy that field so that he will have that treasure. And so that's what coming to Christ is. You're not coming to Christ because, well, I guess I'm supposed to do it, or I guess it's just a good way to live my life. No, you're coming to Christ because he is your treasure. He's offering you something you can't get anywhere else. You're coming to him because he has loved you so deeply, you want to love him in return. And if you come to Christ that way, it will change the entire way you pursue your relationship with him. It will change the way you you pursue him. And so if God, if Jesus is really your treasure, if you really love him, here's some examples. You You won't merely go to church, okay? You will go to worship him because he is worthy of you pouring out your love in song and prayer and receiving his word. And you won't merely be committed to reading the Bible. The Pharisees read the Bible, but you'll be committed to hearing God's voice because you, and you will savor every word and you will say, for me to live, I, I live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so you will savor it and you will meditate on it and seek to embody it. And you won't view his commandments as burdensome and unreasonable and impossible. No, you say, God, I want you to show me how even the hard commands, the ones that that are demanding for me, how they're beautiful and how they're for my good because I trust you. And and instead of holding grudges against God, we say, by your grace, God, I'm not going to be bitter when bad things happen to me. I'm not going to accuse you of being incompetent. I'm not going to say, well, if this is how you treat your friends, I wonder how you're going to treat your enemies. No, you say, God, even though you slay me, I will trust you. And so it makes all the difference in the world if we actually love God and if we want to love God. And so that's what we're going to pursue this week. And one of the things we're also going to see next week, as much as anything else, if we love God, it will have a dramatic impact on the way we treat his children. So we'll talk about that next week. Heavenly Father, we pray with David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God, we invite you to search our hearts. We don't know what our hearts are like. We don't really understand how well we're treating you. But God, at the end of the day, we pray that that you would bring to mind the things we've thought, the things we've said, and the things we've done. And you will show us, God, have we loved you? Have we been kind and patient? Have we been generous to you? Have we held grudges? Uh, Have we been provoked by you? Or God, are our hearts soft toward you? God, show us whatever is there and lead us in the everlasting way. 
Show us how we, even we, can love you with all of our hearts. God, teach us what it means to love the Lord our God. Show us what that means. Show us what that's about. God, we want to experience the freedom and the fullness and the beauty of this way of loving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.